So those of you who are able to attend John Thornton's funeral will, will have heard that his preference was for the King James, New King James Version of the Bible. So in memory of John, today I'll read from that version. And it's from 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 to 26. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words for no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honour and some for dishonour. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel sacrificed and useful for the master prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps grants them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Thanks, Godfrey, and thanks for thinking to read from a King James Version. I'm sure um, Jam will appreciate that. And as far as I can tell, YouTube's still recording, so she'll hear it. Let's pray as we come to look at the Bible together. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would um, speak your word to our hearts. Lord, we pray that your, work, your word would work in us and change us to live for you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a time when we were growing up that my brothers and I, there was four of us, my brothers and I had this yelling match with another couple of kids. The trick is um, their family, um, their parents were Southern Baptist missionaries and my parents were Australian Baptist missionaries. And so there was always going to be differences between Americans and Australians. And this particular day, um, these two American girls, they were saying, it's tomato. And we were saying, no, 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 no. It's tomato. And this yelling match was going on. It's tomato, it's tomato, it's tomato. We were yelling at the top of our voices. And so the American Baptist missionary wife and mother came in and said, what's all this about? We told her what it was all about. It's tomato, it's tomato. And she said, okay, 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 okay. 
it's tomato. And then she said, that's enough. Why don't you come and have some cookies? By which she means biscuits. Far out. That whole experience, it scarred me for life. This is like 40 years later and I still remember it. Words, they're like that. Words are powerful. They leave us different people. Those words are etched into my memory. I reckon the American girls, they probably, they've probably forgotten about it. Though there is a chance that they, uh, they don't eat salad anymore. Their mum, yeah, she would have forgotten about it. My brothers may have forgotten about it. But for me, every time I see a tomato, I'm making that up. But words can be like that have a lasting impact in ways which you don't imagine. And it's different for each person. One person it hits for and others it doesn't. So I remember another time when I remember the room that I was in when um, one of the MTS staff workers with the campus Bible study at New South Wales Uni, was it's just in discussion, in conversation, he explained that the real issue with sin is a relationship breakdown between us and God. We think that sin is the little things we do wrong or the big things we do wrong. We associate that with sin, but actually, no, it's a relationship issue. It's a breakdown in relationship between you and God, broken at your end. The fact that we live as God, God's enemies, that becomes evident in our behaviour and the things we do and the things we think of as sin. But it's the relationship breakdown that matters. Now, that MTS staff worker, he would have forgotten that conversation because he was just casually sharing what he'd known for ages. But for me... It was the first time I was really hearing that. It was starting to hit home, and so I remember that. Words are like that. that. That's the point. Words are powerful. You can build your children's self-esteem with loads of positive reinforcement. You can shatter their self-confidence by being too critical. Words, they matter. Now, as you look at um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, you'll appreciate this passage has a lot to say about words about words and how they're used. In verse 14, Paul tells Timothy to remind people of the truth of the gospel, and he says to warn against quarrelling about words. In verse 16, he says, avoid godless chatter. Down in verse 23, he says, don't have anything to do with stupid arguments. And then as you look back through the passage, there's also positive do's. In verse 14, to remind people. Verse 15, to correctly handle the truth. Verse 24, rather than be quarrelsome, you be kind and gentle and speak with humility. When you disagree with someone, uh, yeah, the tendency is to get worked up, start shouting maybe. You start to defend. You want to get your particular view out there nice and clear. You want to win the argument. Um, we want to express ourselves clearly. But have a look at verses 25 and 26 because... God's truth is not like that. The truth we have in the gospel, it will lead to repentance and godliness and can be delivered gently. So verse 25, it says, opponents must be gently instructed. Or the New King James Version says, in humility, correct those who are in opposition. There's an attitude there, isn't there? Gentleness and humility. Um, not seeking to cause an argument, not, not wanting to be combative, Yes, speaking the truth, but doing it in a kind way. Because as Christians, we know our job is to speak the truth of God's word. It's God that takes that and works in people's hearts, and we can't do that. He does that. So we speak God's word, and God works in people's hearts. So verse 25 goes, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, 
and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do, to do their will. God is the one who is at work when his word is spoken. We don't have control of that. He is sovereign. He's in control. In the gospel, we have powerful words because they're powerful to bring repentance, to change lives. Um, as you look through the passage, God's word is powerful enough to make those ordinary vessels in the home into useful vessels, you know, like the, the coffee cups that, yeah, the dainty little ones, the china ones, not like that, but the useful vessels. Makes us, um, God works in us to make us more godly. If you look at your sermon outline, you can see, okay, we're done. We've gone through point one. We've got the don'ts. We've got the do. We've got the, the, the point two there. All covered, done. I'm going to pray. No, that's probably a bit too short. Let's work back through the passage because as we do that, um, I can remind you of things. And if you think, oh, that's so boring. You've just told us why you can remind. Look at the first verse again. What does he tell Timothy to do? Ah, keep reminding them. So let's go through the exercise. Um, what's Paul telling Timothy to keep reminding them of? We'll just roll back up a few verses. Verse 8 says, remember, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is the gospel which, for which I'm suffering. It's Paul declaring his hope in the resurrection, the fact that he's serving Jesus. He's saying, remember this, Timothy. Verse 10, he expresses his desire for people to know the salvation that's in Jesus. Verses 11 to 13 kind of rehearse the gospel truth. If we die with him, we also live with him and so on. And then verse 14 says, keep reminding them of these things. I take it as saying, keep reminding them of the gospel that have entrusted to you. Keep running through it, running over it, around and around. Make sure we understand all the implications. I think if you've been around church for a little while, yeah, you can kind of switch off. You think, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, heard that. And I don't know, we, we kind of get interested in other little things that really they're not that important, but they sound interesting. And we get distracted. We find ourselves participating in church for all sorts of weird reasons. We need to keep reminding each other of what we should already know. And I think, too, when you're speaking with each other, don't assume. Don't assume the person you're speaking with understands why you do what you do. Explain. It's because I want to live for Jesus that I do. Don't assume. Keep reminding each other and helping each other hold fast to the truth that's in Jesus. Since words matter, uh, there is something I should point out in the first verse, in verse 14. What it should say is it should say, keep reminding them of these things. Keep reminding them of these things, like the New King James says. Um, which makes you ask the question, well, who is them? And the NIV 2011 answers the question for you. It says, keep reminding God's people of these things. So they've tried to help us. But in doing so, may have been unhelpful because I actually think what Paul has in mind is the them being the reliable people from last week's passage, the people who are able to teach. So he wants Timothy to entrust people to reliable people who can teach. And I think Timothy and Paul's now saying, remind those ones of these things. And he's speaking to those who will be entrusted with the gospel. I take it that's how it works. Remember last week, um, the point was two verses one to two, stay strong in the grace that's in Jesus and pass it on. Um, these are more instructions to those reliable people. So when, you, when you're looking for someone to be involved in ministry, yes, you want someone reliable and teachable. You want them to teach like this, like these verses, and you want them to be concentrating on being godly. That also comes out in these verses. But what's said to these particular ones also applies to all of us as Christians. We do want to handle the truth well. 
and we do want to strive to grow in godliness. All of us do. And so while Paul, um, while Paul has gospel teachers in mind, I think what he says applies to all Christians. So let's have a look at what those don'ts first. Again, in the passage, go back through and look at the don'ts. So verse 14, there's, um, there's the warning there against quarrelling about words. It says it's of no value, it's no profit. It says it only ruins those who listen. I don't know if you've found yourself in a Bible study group where people are arguing over a particular verse, looking up the different translations, arguing over the verse, and somewhere along the way the debate goes from or the discussion goes from a humble desire to want to live for God to a desire to win an argument, and it gets a bit nasty, a bit dirty, to the point where they just want to win and they want to prove the other person wrong, and it does do damage to those who are looking on. That sounds like the area that verse 14 is getting into, doesn't it? Well, maybe you've witnessed a heated discussion over whether we should have full immersion baptism or sprinkling, and both sides of the argument pulling in verses from around the Bible to back up their viewpoint to a point where actually we're not humbly trying to work out the right thing to do. We're just trying to be right. Arguments between Christians, they are destructive, and they do do damage to those who are listening. And I think they give some people reasons to walk away from the gospel and from the church, and that is sad. Um, I once had to ask someone not to come back to Bible study. I explained that I'm more than happy to read the Bible with you one-on-one, but the way these discussions are going, the combativeness, it's destructive to, to the group. It wasn't here. Did I do the right thing? Did I do the wrong thing? I felt that it was the right thing because it was destructive for the young Christians in the group, and I'm helpful. Um, I've had to talk to a man who visited church with us here on a Sunday morning, was criticising everything, and I kindly walked him to the door and asked him not to come back with that if he's going to be like that. His behaviour would only ruin those who listen. Similar things have happened at night church too. Verse 14 says, warn against quarrelling about words. Um, Verse 16 There's the next don't. It says, avoid godless chatter, um, or again, New King James, profane and idle babblings. And the reason to avoid godless chatter, um, it only serves to increase ungodliness, we're told. What what does Paul have in mind when he talks about godless chatter? We can try to fill the blank, or maybe crude language. That can lead to ungodliness or rude jokes, controversial Conversations, rather, that, that drool over the latest fashion or the latest technology doesn't help anybody be godly. Worthless topics of conversation, all that can encourage ungodly thinking and ungodly behaviour, and we should avoid them. Avoid them, shun them, like the King James says. I wonder, though, if Paul is particularly concerned with theological error because what he goes on to say talks about um, Hymenaeus and Philetus, people who have departed the truth. And so perhaps by allowing that kind of um, incorrect, ungodly chatter to go on without being corrected, by pr- you kind of approve it by your silence. Perhaps that's the warning here. Avoid godless chatter. Shun godless chatter. 
Um, Phyla, uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus, they've departed from the truth. Um, their teaching spreads like gangrene. That's a horrible picture. That, you know, gangrene, the death of gangrene kind of spreads down a lymph. Uh, yuck. Verse 18 says it spells out their error. Um, in this case, it's an error which destroys people's faith, an error um, that they idly gossip about, I take it. Their error is that the resurrection has already taken place, as in the final resurrection has happened. If the resurrection has already happened, then where does that leave us? Well, something went wrong. We missed out. If the resurrection's already happened, we've got nothing to live for. If the resurrection's already happened, we haven't got a gospel to preach. And Paul's response to that godless chatter, it's there in verse 19. He says, God knows who are his. No one's going to miss out. God knows who are his. He will preserve. He will keep. No one's going to be left behind. God will take care of those who are his. And second thing he says is everyone who confesses the name of the Lord needs to turn away from godly, uh, from wickedness. Now, I'm not sure whether verse 19 is quotes from somewhere. And if it is, I can't find it in the Bible easily. And I suppose at this point, um, working out whether it's a quote or not is not as important as understanding what's being said here. Verse 19, it holds together God's sovereignty and our responsibility. There's a confidence that comes from knowing that God will keep his own, will save his own. Um, And there's the challenge that comes with being told to be more godly. The resurrection, it hasn't come yet. Jesus will return. That's when the resurrection will happen. I mean, Jesus has risen, but the general resurrection has not taken place. So no one will miss out. God's sovereign. He will keep those who are his own. And then our responsibility, the resurrection's not taken place, so we have a hope to live for, and so we're motivated to be godly. Verse 16 says, avoid godless chatter, avoid errors and false truths. And then it goes on after that little quote. I think it goes on to spell out what it'd be like to be godly. You've got these household items for common use and for right. God makes us all useful as we grow in godliness. Verse 16 says, avoid godless chatter, avoid errors and false truths, like that the resurrection's already happened, avoid or shun this kind of teaching. I'm thinking, what are some contemporary concerns like that? I know I've seen a few. Um, Back in the day, there was an Anglican bishop, Bishop Spong, who claimed that the resurrection of Jesus wasn't physical. Strange man to be claiming that. I mean, you've got to stand up to something like that, that idle gossip that spreads like gangrene. Um, another example might be, and I'm saying this one because I've been on the receiving end of it, the expectation that every Christian will speak in tongues. That godless chatter destroys people's faith. It's not helpful. Um, verse 16 says, avoid that sort of godless chatter. The truth matters, so avoid godless chatter. Don't participate in it. Don't put yourself under it. How does that work? Well, there's lots of ways that works. When, when you're picking songs to sing at church, you pick, pick the ones that are true to God's words and avoid that are grey or vague or wrong. When you're choosing a, a Christian book to give to a friend, spare them the, the drama of giving them one that you don't know is decent and solid. Give them something that will feed their faith. When your Christian sp- friend speaks in error, don't just let it go. Gently point it out. Gently and humbly point it out. When you move suburb um, or city and need to find a new church, well, avoid the church that's not teaching the Bible. What point is there in hanging around? If you can see very clearly that the Bible's not being taught, well, just leave. People stick around in churches like that for all sorts of reasons. But when you see clearly, it's foolishness. 
So this passage reminds us of the power of words. Paul says, don't quarrel about words. Don't be drawn into godless chatter. Avoid it. Then down in verse 23, he says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. They only generate strife and quarrels. It's like he's saying, be restrained. Don't retaliate. Um, You know that saying, it takes two to have an argument. There's truth in that. Know when to hold your tongue. Know when to turn the other cheek. Pick your disagreements for the right reason and with humility and a godly concern for the truth and a concern for the salvation of the person you're talking with. Don't quarrel about words, verse 14. Don't be drawn into godless chatter, verse 16. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, verse 23. As you look back over the passage, yeah, they're the don'ts, and you've got the positives too. Verse 15 says, correctly handle the word of truth. I take that for us means correctly handle God's word in the Bible. Um, You can tell when someone is trying to correctly handle God's word, but make sure that you weigh it up, that you test it. Because trust me, anyone who teaches the Bible, they're going to make mistakes. Anyone who teaches the Bible will have things they're blind to, they don't see. I mean, we're all sinful people. That happens. We'll be blind to a particular point of view, perhaps. We might make logical jumps that aren't there. So when you're listening to anyone teach the Bible, you weigh up what you hear. And if you think um, there's something not correct, not right, have the confidence to question it. Um, I can tell you as someone who has to teach the Bible every week, I know how easy it is to miscommunicate too. I get that horrible feeling when someone says, oh, you know how you said, and I'm going, did I ever? <laughs> it happens. It gets said wrong, it gets heard wrong. So weigh what you're hearing. Weigh it up. Um, if you find yourself in a position of teaching the Bible, stay humble. Be prepared to be corrected. Just checking if there's any hands. No, good. Um, we started by talking about you know, those silly examples, the tomato, tomato. But let's finish with the reminder um, of the correct way to take God's word. Have a look. I'll just read verses 24 to 26. As we speak God's truth, we can be gentle. We can be humble because it's God who will bring um, people to their senses. So verse 24 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading them to the knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Let's pray for each other as we think about using words well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you've made each one of us. Thank you for the relationships that you've put us in. Thank you for the huge opportunities you give us through every week to be able to speak your word, the truth of the gospel to people. Lord, please help us each to correctly handle your truth. We pray that your word would be working in us, changing us, making us more godly, making us useful to you. Lord, we pray too that you would continue to teach us. Lord, thank you uh, for Jesus. Thank you for the certainty of forgiveness. We pray that when we do find ourselves disagreeing and the uncomfortableness that goes with that, Lord, we pray that you would give us clarity to speak clearly to listen well, and Lord, to know your grace and forgiveness. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.